Hello. Good evening, Graham. Good evening, Anthony. Hi, Charles. How are you doing? Well, I'm a little disorganised, which I apologise. Mm. I've, I've even lost your list of topics for tonight, so forgive me for that. But I feel we need to start with what never happened last week, a story you were going to tell us, and you got rudely interrupted by the uh, sound of uh, the end of the recording. Um, if I just say the words Martin Compston, and I'll let you fire away... Uh yeah, well, yeah, well, I think we should start instead with a one-minute silence to the Queen, uh, you know, since the funeral is tomorrow. That'll be um, air silence that we can't get back. Okay, okay, just just be quiet. Here we go. A little, little bit of respect and silence. Here we go. And that's the minute silence ended. We're now back to normal service. Well, we are, because I'm going to come on to the Queen later on with a little sort of challenge for you, but I won't say what that is yet. Mm. Um. So, yeah, Graham, I, as I say, you were rudely interrupted last week when you were about to tell us a story, I think possibly at your expense, about well, Martin yeah. Compston. It's always slightly my expense. Well, you know, you and me go to the film festival every year, have done it for about 40 years or whatever. Exactly. And Martin Compston was, was in a great film about Northern Soul one year. And I'd seen when he was much younger than Martin Lee Glenn, this fantastically quaint Scottish drama, his Scottish's tartan and the heather and uh he'd, he'd left that obviously eventually and started to forge a career but this is before the line of duty was a massive massive hit which exactly. obviously made him more famous so he's in this very good british film about northern soul and he was near the end of the film we had to go past him as you remember and so i thought well i'll have a, <laughs> I'll have a quick chat so i very stopped to have a very quick chat with martin but then i couldn't resist asking him and when are you going to do more than the Glen again and you, could, down, <laughs> and you could sort of see it was a bit like it was a bit like you know a former member of the Partridge family being asked to remember the days playing for that early 70s manufactured band so but I thought it was quite funny obviously <laughs> but then the other days he's not only become super famous since then partly because of Line of Duty but yeah. I, bought, I bought the big issue recently because uh, Alex Turner of Arctic Monkeys on the front, front cover yeah. and who was doing the interview probably in Paris or somewhere with Alex Turner, who very really does press interviews these days. Exactly. But Martin Comston, Martin Comston. So I thought, ooh, who's had the last laugh? Not me. So he was actually doing the interview? Yeah, yeah. Well, they do that in Big Issue. They have, like, celebrities interviewing other celebrities. Mm, so cutting, I think out, cutting out journalists. Well, that's always happened. I mean, remember those enemy Christmas issues where you'd have, like, four famous rock stars or indie stars in a pub doing the interview with each other in times like Nick Cave and Marquis e. Smith and uh, Shane McGowan. So it's it's not, it's not that sort of thing. They're not stealing journalist jobs, I don't think. Now, Graham, uh, we've, we're going to come on to the Queen later, but we might as well start with a, a British revolution. And uh, this is a very British revolution, which is concerning two classic films, A Hard Day's Night, of course, the famous Beatles film, and The Ipcris File, and what they say about the way uh, the class system changed in the UK in the 1960s, I'm going to add to that, Graham, how it differs from now. All right, that's fine, that's fine. But yeah, I mean, you, you could say that these two films aren't serious films, they're quite commercial films. And we should really talk about Joseph Losey's The Servant, written by Harold Pinter. That's yeah. much more serious about the British class system and how it's changing and blah, yes. blah, blah. 
But I, I always think that popular culture actually shows up what's really happening often better than the serious films do. And if you look at Hard Day's Night and uh, a bit Crestfile, and both are very 60s films and both have a lot of style, but they're both sort of like streetwise style. They're not like mm. glossy Hollywood, shallow style. You know, they're, they look like they're in the real world, which is sort of links them together. And they're both a bit working class. Harry Palmer played by Michael Caine. Yeah. Chris Fowler is a working class hero. The Beatles played by the Beatles in the Hard Day's Night are definitely working class characters. So, so there's a lot, of some, yeah, a lot of similarities there. And I, th- I think, but the, the thing is, they're both irreverent films. And they're both about how the main character, Harry Palmer, or the Beatles, deals with authority. And how they deal with authority in the films is very interesting and can be judged basically by the dialogue alone, which has some quite strong similarities. So, uh, for example, Nipcrest File, which is based on the Len Dayton novel, written, script was co-written by uh, James Doran, who was actually born in Edinburgh, served with the Royal Marines in the Second World War, he went on to write a lot of episodes of Zed Cars in the 60s, Dr. Finley's Casebook in the 70s, then Juliet Bravo on TV in the 1980s. A lot of the dialogue is, is it, it, it sums up the, the way the class system was going. So at one point, Major Dolby says to Harry Palmer, the, the new spy that forced, to be, forced him to be recruited, Major Dolby says to him, it isn't usual to read a B-107 to subject Palmer, but I'm going to put you straight. Insubordinate, insolent, a trickster, perhaps with criminal tendencies. Hmm. And Michael Caine or Harry Palmer replies, yes, that's a pretty fair appraisal, sir. <laughs> then, later, then, then later, Colonel Ross says to Palmer, says, you just love the army, don't you? And Palmer replies, oh, yes, sir. I just love the army. Hmm. And then Major Dolby says to him at one point, Spares the jokes, Palmer. I don't have Colonel Rossi's sense of humour. Palmer replies, yes, I will miss that, sir. Mm. So you can pull it to Hard Day's Night where they're on yes. the train going to London and they've got some posh chap in a bowler hat and he's, he's brawly and there's four of them and one of him in their private carriage in the old-fashioned British rail system. And they want to like, have the window open. He doesn't want the window open. Ringo wants to play his transistor radio. He doesn't want the transistor radio playing. And he's quite a pompous man. And at one point he says, I fought the war for your sort. And Ringo, Ringo replies, I bet you're sorry you won. <laughs> where, where did Victor Spinetti fit then, in? And, oh, he, he was like an impresario. Uh, he was the uh, TV producer, I think. Ah, and they're, do, yes. they're doing a TV show in London. So he's the producer. But at one That's point, the, 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 the pompous guy, the bowler hat, keeps on you know, complaining about them. So mm. Paul says to him, but we're a community, majority vote, up the workers, all that stuff. And then as he keeps on being pompous and, and refusing to shut up, they then jump off the train and start performing for him outside his window, Please. shouting at boys, yes. pretending little boys in the shout, come have a ball back, mister, come have a ball back, mister. And basically the, the, what links the two films and the action of Harry Palmer and the Beatles mm. is they both take authority they all they both react to authority with no respect whatsoever. No. But the way they refuse to count out authority and to know their place in the class system mm. isn't to try and overthrow it like people did in Paris in 1968 or at times in the campuses of America in mm. the 60s. It's basically they're not going to respect them. They're not going to do as they're told. 
but they're going to deal with it by irreverent humour and heavy sarcasm. So the British revolt against the class system is basically based on culture. And whereas in the rest of the world, it was like a political revolution attempting to happen, in mm. Britain it was much more of a social revolution and a yeah. cultural revolution yeah. with a little bit of politics in there for sure. Mm. But it, it wasn't, it was a much more gentle British revolution. And, and things did change, especially in morality and, and sexuality in Britain in the 60s. Yeah. Everything became more liberal absolutely, yeah. and progressive. And the Beatles and Michael Caine and Harry Palmer's role were, mm. were part of that change. And they, they prepared the way for people, people's opinions to change on all those subjects. So the, the way the Beatles thought and Michael Caine's character in the Lipcrest file thought mm. about the class system was what ended up being what almost everybody thought. And the class system changed an awful lot as a result of that. But they weren't trying to overthrow it. They weren't saying, you're the bosses, but we're going to be the new bosses. Mm. Where, where would something like that, that, um, that was the week that was, would fit in? And then subsequently leading up to the era of, of Monty Python fit into that, do you think? That's exactly it. Since, since the changes in Britain were led by culture, mm. it started with Beyond the Fringe, and that was the week that was. Yes. Became much bigger with the Beatles and the Stones yeah. and some films like The Epcrest File. Yeah. And then effectively ended with Monty Python, yeah. who lampooned up everything, who, who just took everything apart. Yeah. And that had a big effect on Britain. But it wasn't the same as, you know, a revolution, you know, a proper political revolution. There was no mm. proper political revolution, which is why the Stones and Street Fighting Man, which they recorded in 68, mm. saying, what can a poor boy do except to play in a rock and roll band in this sleepy London town? There ain't no place for a Street Fighting Man. No, because Britain didn't do that sort of evolution. What about and and then where um, the film If would then fit into that, which was I would have said that 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 was insubordinate in in every way. I mean, actually, you know, public school boys getting you know getting gunned down. Well, in some ways, that was a very realistic film because you got to remember that communism was big until mm. the Cold War. Even in the West, there was a lot of yeah. quite strong communist parties. Cambridge was full of spies from the 1930s yep, onwards. Exactly. So, so it wasn't that far fetched. But, but even Lynn Anson's "If," which went in '68, which ends up with Malcolm Adele and his small band of mm. student revolutionaries at this posh mm. public school on the rooftops, yeah, dunning down the head of the school, yeah, the the, the vicar mm. and all the angry posh parents. Yeah. E even that is still very British because yeah. although that sounds revolutionary. First of all, the film sort of hints that this is just a fantasy. And secondly, the film also heavily hints that Malcolm McDowell's violent revolution is doomed to absolute failure. Yeah, and yeah. that the, the forces of the establishment at the school will definitely win, mm. which isn't really a message for manning the barricades, really. No. I mean, at, at the, whereas now, I suspect that if such um, attitudes were, were being thrown around, uh, under this present government, they'd be doing their very best to try to um, get rid of it, um, which is what they're doing to some extent by uh, the way they're treating Channel 4, for example, trying to privatise that for all the wrong reasons. Um, where do the voices of dissidents fit in now? Can they it's fly? pretty hard because... Can, 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 uh, mm. No, well, the Marsh Report and BBC Two, because BBC's been under so much pressure from the government yeah. for the last 12 years, when it 
had run for a few series and got mm. a bit popular and it was mm. pretty hostile to the government. Exactly. It ended up on Dave ended up on Dave channels. So yeah. there isn't really much out there. You're not really allowed to be that sarcastic and irreverent about mm. the people with power in Britain now. They they, they they don't like it. And unlike in the past when the cultural system as a whole basically supported what the Beatles were doing and what Rip Cresswell stood for. I mean the BBC in the sixties used to allow some right interesting progressive types to have airtime. They just mm. don't do that anymore. You're not you're not allowed to be be that irrelevant and off the wall and different mm. unless you do it in a very knowing way, in a very calm, quite boring way. So that that the have I got news for you way is the one that's still accepted. That's the one show that's left because it's so mm. silly. Mm. They seem to get away with being exceedingly rude. I saw the I saw the special show they did to the resignation of Boris Johnson. Oh, yeah. And the first 15 minutes was like yeah. absolutely virulent about yeah. Boris and the government. Yeah. And then it went back to just being sort of panto, mm. which is pr- probably a good idea because if it carried on like that, I'm sure <laughs> there would have been a phone call to the producer saying, like, I know you've been running for 85 years, but you're finished. Dot, dot, dot. Exactly. But it was quite shocking. It was quite, it was quite surprising to see something so straight down, completely, honestly negative towards mm. Prime Minister, is that sure? I mean, these are times that should should point to, dis- to, to dissident comedy, which obviously is there, as we know, uh, on the fringe, uh, and certainly in comedy clubs. But Not so still, much, but, I don't think. Well, there are, there are still political comedians out there. Yeah, but in general, they're not. In general, comedy, these days, stand-up comedy, seems to be about... Anecdotes about yourself or your sexuality, yeah, uh, that seems to be two yeah, main topics. And, and having young children. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't think I don't think political comedy's in, in the ascendancy whatsoever in stand-up. No, I would agree it's with that. Like, it's not like the days of Lexus Sale or the yeah, or I would Ben Elton when Alex, young. Alexis Sale makes exactly that point. You know, where are they? Mm. You know? mm. And actually in the case of Jerry Sadowitz, they get closed down. So you know, show removed I'm after not sure Jerry, I'm not sure Jerry's political. I mean Je- Jerry's just uh, <laughs> he's literally in a world of his own. Yeah, yeah. So, Graham, um, I, t- I thought uh, just as a little, would I call it a quiz? But anyway, this, so the the Queen, um, she yeah. has featured or been played by somebody in between 100 films and TV shows. She sure, didn't know that. And there was a piece by David Hare saying that there was a time when people wanted to play Hamlet. There was a time they wanted to play King Lear or whatever. But the, the key role suddenly became playing Queen Elizabeth II. It became a role that was that actors wanted to play. And obviously, we're talking women playing the role. Except I found that Eddie, Eddie Izzard, did you know this? He played, mm-hmm. he played the Queen in The Simpsons in 2010. Did he? He did. But it wasn't really Eddie Izzard because it's a cartoon, surely. It was a, I presume it was the voice that he did. And Vanessa Redgrave likewise did the voice of the Queen in, in, the, in the film Cars 2. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one, the the one American actor that played him. Here's a question for you. I don't think you'll get this one. I'm not even going to hazard the guess at that. So this was on Saturday Night Live by Fred Arneson, and what he did, he turned her mm. into a, the Queen into a bawdy, foul-mouthed uh, person <laughs> in his sketches. So that, that's yeah, yeah. how that went. Um, and we obviously, I can imagine the Queen could do that, though. I mean, obviously, yeah. I did not know the Queen, but she looked like she knew everything and she had a lot of experience in every single situation. And she'd yeah. met so many powerful people. Yeah. I think that if you'd sat down with the Queen, no matter how much she tried to shock her, 
or surprise her or, or be rude, I think she would take it in stride. I'm, I'm sure the Queen could have handled any situation one to one. Absolutely. I was trying to. So, do you remember Jeanette Charles when she played the Queen? Mm, I do, yeah. And I, I, I'd forgotten that she did it in Austin Powers. Uh, oh, in yes, gold mem- in uh, Austin Powers in Goldmember 2002. She mm. did it in one of the Naked <laughs> Gun films. And she yeah. did it in one of the National Lampoon's films. So, which <laughs> which tells you quite where her standing was as a, as a as a character at that time, I suppose. When instead we then went on to the age of um, the Crown, obviously with Claire Foy and um, soon to be Imelda Staunton, I think, uh, following mm. following on, isn't she? She's going to be the third of those. Um, mm. And of course, Helen Mirren probably well, well, Helen Mirren won an Oscar for her performance as the Queen in the Queen. Well, that was a good film. It was, it was, and Olivia Colman, of course, just just recently uh, has done that. Um, the more, some of the more unlikely, Neve Campbell, she played Princess Elizabeth. Yeah, that, that rings a bell. Yeah, in a World War Two parody, which was called really? Churchill: The Hollywood Years. She was in there. Oh, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, that wasn't yeah. a big hit. So that, so there's one for for the for the quizzes, and um, Amelia Fox has played the Queen. Samantha Bond has played the Queen. Diana Quick has played the Queen, and uh, Barbara Flynn has played the Queen. So there's all sorts of difference. And then someone I've never heard of called Jane Alexander. Mm. I have heard the name, but I don't know why. But it does ring a bell. That was in the Hallmark Channel series. That's really obscure. William and Catherine, the Royal Romance. What strikes me about this whole list of things you're giving me about the Queen, how many times she's had TV and film appearances, is that. They've all been quite respectful, even even the ones that are l- like a joke. Yeah, or a even comedy. the Jeanette Charles ones. Yeah, she, the Queen is very rarely the subject of the joke. There must have been a great respect for her well before she died, because there was no films making the Queen no. look bad. I suppose the no. closest was the Queen with Helen Mirren, where yeah. she's she seemed to be outflanked by Tony Blair after yes. the, the death of Princess Diana. But that's about the only critical film. I can't remember where the Queen's... That's true, that's true. And of course, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the comic gem, of the late comic gem of the Paddington um, scene, of course. Mm. Um, and then one chap who did play the Queen, um, which is a good one for the quiz questions, who is Gary Connery? Is he related to Sean? I uh, can't answer that one. How He's a stunt artist and a professional skydiver. So I reckon mm. you might work this one out. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna. 2012, the James Bond scene at the opening of the Olympics. Oh, the Queen is seen oh, yeah, to yeah. skydive. Wait, 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 stop, stop, Charles, come on. Everybody knows that was Daniel Craig came down the parachute. Oh, no, no, it was Gary Connery who came it down wasn't in Daniel the parachute, Craig. pretending to be Why the Queen. Why is nobody? Wait a minute, so you actually had a man playing the Queen? And a ma- he was zipped into some kind of thing that made him look like the Queen, but he did the wow. stunt. He was he was the Queen's stunt double in 2012. Because I was going to ask if, if ever a Queen had played the Queen. Yeah, I, I mean, logically, it would you'd assume that someone would have spoofed the Queen in, in a pantomime or whatever. You, that has to have happened, I mean, doesn't it? Freddie Mercury Not, but, never played the Queen, I don't think, did he? No, no. But I'm surprised that Morrissey hasn't reappeared with the Queen is Dead album. But well, he's been him, quite, quite as a quite as a ghost. Give him time. He's got his tour coming up, playing in Doncaster. So we'll we'll wait and see what happens with that. Mm. Now, Graham, I'm going to quickly look and see what topics we can still. T- I, I mean, you could do yeah. an interruption if you wish. 
Well, yeah, we, we both saw Harrogate Theatre Rep come back we in did. fantastic style with Abigail's Party on Tuesday night. Glorious performance. Quite Loved a fantastic it. performance and production as well. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, K- Katie Dean as Beverly Moss, the terrible host of the world's <laughs> worst drinks nibbles party. She was just absolutely phenomenal. She was nearly as good as Alice Steadman. Yeah. In the 1977 I mean, TV version. So she's best known in Harrogate for pantomimes. And yet here, suddenly, and that's, that's what I love about it. This is something, you know, think, I mean, she's done all, she's played the baddie in the pantomime. She's, she, I can't remember if she's played the fairy, but she's played all sorts of roles mm. in pantomime. And yet, lo and behold, we suddenly see her in a completely different light in this, which is the tradition of rep after all. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, and the, the whole cast was a five person cast. The mm. whole cast was superb to the point where, as I was watching on stage at Harrogate Theatre, mm. I forgot it was a play eventually. Eventually, I was so into it, I forgot I was just watching people on stage. You were the sixth person at that party waiting for your cheese nibble. Mm. I would have loved to be that party. A little cigarette. It, was such a, it was such a terrible party, I wanted to be there. Graham, I think you and I have been at parties as bad as that. I really do. Not for a while. Not for a <laughs> Or not that you can remember. <laughs> not since the 1970s. So the season's continuing. We should just mention this, that um, yeah. Gaslight is coming up from this week uh, and yep. uh, from Tuesday, and the third play, John Gobber's Men of the World, a, a comedy starring actually two two actors who you'll be soon seeing later in the uh, in the York Theatre Royal Pantomime, Robin Simpson and Paul Hark- Porkyard are both in that play, and I think Janine Mellor is the third actor in that in, is the third actor in that piece. <laughs> You've been listening to the podcast Two Big Egos in a Small Car. Your hosts were Graham Chalmers and Charles Hutchinson. This was a Baltic sub-production.